In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char. Or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire, our bodies becoming this new, fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Today, we're going to hear a piece about losing your hair to chemo. But as we all know, it's never just hair. So the story we're going to hear today is about a relationship between a mother and a daughter and about loss of identity, of hair, and of a mom. And it's about discovery of a new identity and those astonishing chemo curls. For many, the loss of their hair is even harder to face than the idea of losing their breasts to cancer. Through the ages, hair is a symbol of femininity, identity, freedom, beauty, liberation. It's a tool for self-expression. Some people have surgery first and then chemo. For me, it was the other way around. So losing my hair was the first outward sign to the world that I was going through something, that I was sick. Before starting chemo, I cut my hair short into a shoulder length bob and immediately fell in love with it. I didn't expect that. I thought I would feel lost without my long curls, but the short bob revealed a new side of me. I felt freer, but it wouldn't last. After my second infusion of Taxol, my hair started to noticeably thin, strands on my pillow, in the sink. I remember the day I started wearing hats. I was expecting a friend to stop by with dinner for my family, one of the amazing people who hopped on my meal train when the diagnosis arrived. On this particular day, I was home alone, frantically trying to fix my hair before she arrived. The problem was that my part line was no longer just this thin line down my head, flattering my face with the way it encouraged my hair to fall around my eyes. Instead, the thin part had widened to a pale highway down the center of my head that was alarming, abnormal, sick. I couldn't make it look normal, and it left me feeling frantic, exposed, and raw. By then, the Taxol had begun to make my skin look sallow, and I had dark purple rings under my eyes but it was that shocking wide part line that I couldn't handle. It was the first time I really acknowledged that cancer was going to change me in a lot of ways I couldn't control. It was going to take away my defenses, and that was utterly terrifying. I hadn't realized till then how much I hid behind my hair. Losing it was going to make me visible in a way I didn't know if I was ready for. My guest today is Stephanie Kinkle. Stephanie was diagnosed with breast cancer at 39. She carries the gene mutation ATM. Stephanie and her sister Jen were quite young when they lost their parents to cancer, and thus, Stephanie says, she was not altogether surprised to discover her own two small lumps or the genetic predisposition. She's a teacher and a scientific illustrator living in San Francisco. 
Today, Stephanie joins us to read a piece she wrote for Wildfire Magazine's Bay Area Young Survivors issue. This was an issue in which we showcased those diagnosed young with breast cancer living in Northern California. Welcome to The Burn, Stephanie. Thanks so much, April. I'm so excited to be here today. Thank you. I'm so excited you're here. So you are reading a piece you wrote called Permanent. After you read, we'll talk about hair, family, writing, and those of you listening, stay tuned to the very end for a writing prompt inspired by today's story. All right, Stephanie, I'll let you take it away. Thank you so much, April. Permanent. A child of the 80s, I desperately wanted curly hair. Band bangs, crimped blonde locks, neon spandex adorned the heads and bodies of the coolest girls I knew. And let's be honest, the MTV celebrities I'd never know. I begged my parents to let me perm my hair. At the dance studio, I'd eye others enviously, watching green-eyed as they jazz-walked past, leaving an aroma of hairspray in their bouncy wakes. My mother, always on the offense, refused. Our pattern was a repetitive one. Deep desire, earnest request, denial, reactivity, and resentment. My father was no longer there to mediate, and by mediate, I really mean cave in to my whims after a standoff. So we settled into a mother-daughter cold war. For dance competitions, she'd help me, though, set my hair in curlers overnight to prepare for the matching outfits required of synchronized performances. Red lipstick, pink blush, black mascara, and curly ringlets were the prize I'd received before the prizes and places were ever announced. At some point, the topic lost its tenacity. A second round of illness in my second parent, and I had too many other real things to feel angry about, resistance toward. Unconvinced that my behavior and emotions stemmed from something deeper, my poor mother finally made her concession. I was 14. Fine, she said softly. What? I asked, bewildered. I've thought about it. You can get the perm. I'll take you. I see now that she was asking for a new shape for us, not for my hair. I don't want it, I said. I was 14. Who can understand the nuance of bids for affection in high school? She insisted. You're getting this perm whether you like it or not. After all this time, you've asked me so many times. Her voice was raised. I'm taking you to Kathy tomorrow. That's all there is to it. This is the typical ping pong we played, longing to hit the serves coming across the table, but throwing our paddles at one another instead. As I sat in the supercuts, curlers in, acid fixative burning my scalp, I could smell the permanent solution and the cigarette smoke wafting in from outside. Kathy had said she'd be right in to check on me. She and my mom laughed and smoked, and I silently waited. At the base of my scalp, I felt the heat of change taking shape. How much should this hurt, I wondered. An hour later, curlers out, my hair fell in tight ringlets to midway down my back. It was exactly what I had hoped it would look like. 
at least five years ago when it was cool. Now I didn't know what I wanted. After my mom died, my curls, starting at the base of my head, fell out in clumps in the shower. Handfuls of dark hair clogging the drain and wrapping themselves around my fingers as I bathed. For the first time, no one was there, though, to tell me what I could or could not do. So I cut it all off. The stylist held the ponytail up and hot tears welled up as he snipped it off in one clean stroke. With clippers, he shaved the back of my head, and I went to school the next day with a hairstyle that no one else had. After months of baldness for my own rounds of chemotherapy, my hair is growing back in. It's curly, naturally, and I keep almost saying it looks like Orphan Annie, but I censor myself, knowing it's unfair to crack a joke that only I can make. It's more like Shirley Temple, maybe. I smile when I see the soft, totally unmanageable ringlets emerging from my scalp. It's as if I am a different person after cancer. It's as if my mother and I are finally in agreement about what hairstyle suits me best. Mm, thank you so much for that, Stephanie. That was beautiful. We are going to take a quick break here, and when we come back, we'll chat more about hair and family and writing. Hi, my name is Julie Morgan. I live in San Francisco, California. I was 37 years old at the time of my early stage diagnosis, and I was 42 when I was diagnosed metastatic. I've done multiple wildfire writing workshops with April, she really knows how to get the stories out. She uses wonderful prompts and poems that really speak to our own experiences and gives us a glimpse into what other people are going through. And the group of women that take part in the writing workshops are so supportive and it becomes intimate really quickly because of the atmosphere that April develops for us. Thanks so much for the love, Julie. All right, welcome back, Stephanie. Thank you again for your powerful writing. It was such a vulnerable story, and I really want to thank you for that, for being so open with us. Thank you. Thanks so much, April. Such a privilege to be here. So let's start with an update. It's been a little while since you wrote this. Let's start with your relationship with your hair these days. Can you describe it? Where are you at with, with hair? <laughs> I actually resonated a lot. Um, I really appreciated your vulnerable opening uh, with your story of, of your own hair loss journey. Um, I definitely recall that moment in my cancer experience as well, where I realized, oh, this is different. Um, this is changing me. Um, but since I wrote this story, there's been kind of a funny change, which is that my hair has begun to straighten back out. <laughs> so although the title of the story is permanent, um, it was not a permanent shift, uh, at least externally. So I think um, I've, I had had short hair for decades prior to chemo, lost all of my hair, came back in ringlets, and now I think I'm growing it long, but it is straighter again and I'm enjoying it. I think I just love having it and I feel a new sense of gratitude for that experience. <laughs> it's so interesting how 
Well, our relationship to hair, um, you know, of course, I have been thinking about hair a lot since my own, you know, experiences with chemo. But your story, it it's so interesting how other people, our moms, feel a sense of identity and connection through the hair of their children as well. Um, that is a part of your story that really resonated with me um, because although my own mom didn't necessarily care what clothes I wore, she let me wear makeup really young. For some reason, my hair was kind of off limits to me for a long time. Um, and I want to bring this around to you writing this particular story. You know, it's been a long time since you had those conversations with your mom. And so I want to ask you, what did it mean for you to be writing this story? What um, specifically, what question do you think you were kind of still grappling with when you set out to write this? If you can, I know I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah, I, I welcome that, the invitation. I think for me, so much of my cancer experience um, I looked through a lens of how can I understand what my parents were going through in a, in a more embodied way. And it, it had been decades since they had been sick or since they had passed. But I still was left with this question of like, what was their experience like? Why did they behave the way that they did? Or what would have motivated them to be reactive in moments and non-reactive in other moments and to place restrictions in some places and not in others? And I don't think I will ever have the full answers to those questions, but it, it did leave me feeling as if cancer could teach me something. And that felt like a worthwhile exploration to have in writing and to share with others. Um, coming to a place of peace with my relationship with my mother has been a big part of my own healing journey. And I think, you know, there are places on the outside of my body that have been changed by cancer that have left scars, but the process of being ill and recovering has also undone some scars from my early adolescence in a way that I hadn't expected. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that really resonates with me. Um, if you're comfortable talking about it, I know that you have a niece and her name is Hope, which I love so much. And I'm wondering about this process of kind of mothering her as auntie, how maybe that is also healing you um, from some of these past stories. Do you, what do you think about that? Oh, April, I love that. And she actually just came to visit with my sister to commemorate the two-year anniversary since my mastectomy. So they we had like a big appreciation dinner and my sister flew in with Hope from Southern California. Um, seeing Hope grow up has been incredibly healing. My sister is an incredible mother and um, just watching her really allow Hope a lot of autonomy, even as a four-year-old, has been really, really lovely. Um, and I found a lot of joy and healing and presence in my relationship with Hope as well. I just have so much excitement for her and all of the potential that she holds. I think another place that I find a lot of healing is in my work. So I work with middle school kids and that those adolescents are at the age that I was at when I lost my folks. And so there's this real sense of repair um that can happen on a day-to-day -day basis and almost every day i'm given an opportunity to help a student maybe see the way that they are in the world 
Uh, we practice a lot of mindfulness in the school that I work in, which also gives me an opportunity to build the skills in the students to hold those strong emotions that they might be having. And so um, you're right that in relationship, both with hope and with these kids, I'm given this opportunity on a day-to-day -day basis to heal those moments. Yeah, it's this opportunity, I think, and, and I'm speaking more for myself, having lost my own mom after um, really challenging relationship with her. But I find for myself, it's these opportunities through my nieces, through my own child, um, and through friends. It's it's a way to mother myself in a way that mm -hmm. I wished I either could have appreciated more fully or just didn't have. And so I have to kind of do it for myself. And that ability to be able to change the story, um, and I'm saying this literally and figuratively, is so such a gift, right? Um, and to be able to see the world that way. Tell me a little bit about your relationship with writing these days and how what what are you writing? What are you working on? Yeah, thanks so much, April. Um, I, I so appreciate that invitation to change your story. And I think um, another place where I do some writing is in workshops with you. So I've also appreciated the direct invitation to change my story there. So for the last six weeks, I have participated in the Wildfire Writing Workshop, which has been a dream. Um, in those uh, workshops, I'm mostly responding to prompts. They're usually personal narratives. Um, I'm writing a lot of poetry, uh, kind of surprisingly, usually starting from lists that we make, they end up being poems. Um, and then I'm also writing fiction in my free time, or sort of, I guess, biographical fiction, where I take maybe something that I've experienced and then create it in the third person and really allow the story to tell itself in a totally new way. And sometimes that's like magical realism, like things are happening that could never have happened. Um, and sometimes that's just like loosely different than how it was. Uh, and sometimes it just is, is as it was, but it gives me an opportunity to see it differently, to see it with a little more distance, even just supplying a character with a different name kind of lets you watch it from the outside, which is in and of itself really, really healing. Oh my goodness. Yes. I love that you brought that up because I think t people just need permission to play with writing. We take writing so seriously. And I think people don't realize, first of all, that they're writing all day long. You know, we're sending texts, we're writing emails, we're, we are writers just as, as human creatures, we're writing. But then what you just said about that permission to play around with it, even just switching it to the third person and letting yourself truly become the narrator of this story, it can be profoundly, um, I don't know, just really open your eyes to a different angle than maybe you realized was happening there. I love that. Have you created kind of a space in your life for writing? How does writing enter into your daily routine these days or, or does it? Yeah, that's a great question. I definitely, so I have a journal habit that I keep up um, pretty regularly, but it's pretty structured. So I'll write like a few appreciations and some gratitudes at the end of the day. And then I find that I carve out maybe an hour or two every week to write uh, without a whole lot of scheduling. So you were talking about kind of mothering yourself and uh, being a good parent. And one of the ways that I do that, I don't have kids of my own, but I have 
therefore a little more expansive time in my life to to make room for for that care, that self-care that comes from uh, writing or dancing or cooking healthy food. And, and I find that I really do carve out the space for writing as needed. Um, I love too what you said about how we're all writers. And I, I wanna just touch on that briefly, which is that you know there is a lot of story being made up in our heads too all the time. And so just giving yourself this chance an hour or two week to put that to paper can help you see the ways that you're like not seeing things objectively or um, getting caught up in narrative in your own head. And it, it can be really playful. So mm -hmm. I, I encourage folks to try it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think it's just um, intimidating at first for some people. And then once you start doing it, first of all, it becomes a habit. Second, it takes the fear out of it. You just realize there's no right or wrong answer here. You know, I'm just going to play with this. And then, like you said, it becomes this source of self-care that can be really, can be profoundly life-changing, or it can just add a little softness to to the edges of life by letting us kind of slow down and and look around and reframe um yeah i love everything you said stephanie thank you so much for that i guess that my my final question for you is um for some reason i don't and you don't even have to answer this but some reason i just am kind of dying to know and maybe my others listening are kind of curious too did your parents lose their hair in their own chemo. And so was that also another layer of, of part of this? Uh, that's such a good question. Um, it hadn't even occurred to me, but yes, uh, my mother did and my father did not. My mother went through two rounds of breast cancer. Um, first, the initial round of cancer and then a second recurrence. Um, in her first round, I do distinctly remember her losing her hair and my sister, her and I, uh, visiting a wig shop and, and looking for, for wigs of different styles that, that she felt like she could wear. And I, I remember her having a really hard time with that moment. I think as you mentioned and, and as is probably obvious in my story, uh, as well, but um, I, it is part of my childhood narrative, that moment, and it felt close, like there was something about that experience of being with her in that shop and, and trying wigs on that was really relationship building, and then I found myself in a parallel situation, you know, decades later, I was with friends and trying to decide, like, would I wear a wig or not? And having that early experience and realizing that it had the potential to be painful didn't make the pain not there, but it did allow me some extra play. So I may or may not have picked up a hot pink neon wig that I may or may not have worn to a middle school culminating performance of a STEM, a STEM class I was teaching. So it, I did find a little more um, place to be playful and wild on account of having that early experience. 
Mm, I love that. And and partially because I may or may not have had a pink wig myself. So yeah, I, I get it. Um, and in fact, in my family, my daughter and my husband both had pink wigs as well. Um, so yeah, I think it's interesting. Um, and we could probably talk about this all day, but just different, um, our parents taking things maybe more seriously, let us take them less seriously, maybe, you know, and, and find the places to play with it. And, um, and it'll keep evolving. Right. And, and who knows what will come next. Today's writer and guest was Stephanie Kinkle. Her piece was called Permanent from the February 2020 issue of Wildfire Magazine called Bay Area Young Survivors. Stephanie, where can people find you and learn more about you online? Uh, you can find my Instagram. It's at skinklestudios. Um, I'm also on Facebook, Stephanie Kinkle. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. I'm April Stearns, and you've been listening to The Burn. The Burn's a production of Wildfire Magazine, where we share breast cancer stories from young women like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay till the end for a writing prompt inspired by Stephanie's story. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode, to find our more than 30 issues in the Wildfire archives, and to take a writing workshop with me. Discover how to write your way back to yourself and write your way to reclaiming your body and your story. Don't forget to subscribe to The Burn and listen to it wherever you go. All right, here's our writing prompt. So as always, set your timer for eight minutes and write without stopping or editing. Seriously, there's magic in leaning into that time. The prompt is my life as told through my hair. So what I want you to do is think about a timeline of your hair and things like this, little tools like this are wonderful ways of exploring memoir. So your life is told through your hair. Maybe there's a favorite haircut, a haircut gone wrong. Were you allowed to wear your hair the way you wanted to growing up? If you lost it due to cancer treatment, what lessons did you learn? My life as told through my hair. Eight minutes, write without stopping. See what needs to come out and where it will take you. Happy writing. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take good care.